Well, we are jumping right into Genesis chapter 3. And last time we looked at those first six verses. Let's look at those once again as we head on into the rest of this chapter. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the serpent, or Revelation says that dragon. At the end of this chapter, the serpent is going to be moving along on his belly, slithering. So he wasn't at this time. That's something that came about afterwards on the curse. So some think this could have been more like a dragon, a flying creature or a walking creature somehow. But it was more cunning than all the other animals. So Satan thought he would get the best traction being able to talk and deceive by using this particular creature. So maybe he chose it because it fitted him. He's a cunning guy. Or maybe uh, he chose it because it was so beautiful. And we know Satan likes to appear that way. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says when he appears, he appears as an angel of light. The one thing that we know for sure, he doesn't like to appear like himself. <laughs> I think if he shows up and he, he's 100% himself, I think most humans, even fallen humans, uh, would reject him because it would be obvious that sin, he's the father of lies and sin has begun with him. But he, he comes and he tries to get mankind, which is Adam and Eve this time, to question God's word. That's the case today. Did God really say? Could it really be true? That sounds more like a myth. I don't think that, you know, is, is very scientific. <laughs> I don't think that is uh, going to fly in our intellectual society of the 21st century. But the fact is, is God's word stands why so many philosophies of men have gone by the wayside to dust. But he wants to ask Eve, not asking Adam, he's talking to Eve, and uh, he says to her, um, could it really be true, you know, that God's limiting your life by giving you restrictions, these horrible restrictions, one tree, you can't eat of. Does it seem right? Does it seem fair? In verse 2 and 3, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it. And then here Eve adds to the word of God, Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So if she had just stayed with the word of God accurately, it would have been powerful. But because she changes the word of God, it's lacking in power. And again, this is part of the pride of man. We need to improve God's word. You know, with my commentary on the Bible, I'm going to improve on what God said. Um, and, and here she is saying, oh, yeah, you know, we can't even touch it. And probably at that point, she's leaning against it and, oh, you didn't die. Oh, well, you know, God never said anything about touching it and dying. 
It's just something she added to it. We looked at this last week in a bit of detail, how many times it says, do not add to, do not take away, lest God curses you. Because the word of God is very, very accurate, like a two-edged sword, very sharp, can pierce like a, a scaffold of a doctor right between the bone and the marrow. So God's word is perfect, it's pure, it's been tested. You know, it's interesting, when Jesus is tempted by Satan, same things happen, it's the same old routine. Man's creative, we're made in God's image. Angels are not made in God's image. They do not have the creative capacity. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians uh, 2.11, we're not ignorant of his devices. We, we know his devices. He, he just does them over and over again. He really doesn't even improve on them. It's just they work. <laughs> and, um, and, and so the Lord, it's interesting, here's God Almighty in human flesh. He, how hard would it have been for Jesus to come up with a new revelation or a new word? We would have saw Jesus fighting Satan and, and he comes up with new words that becomes new scripture for us. But you know, Jesus didn't come up with a new revelation, did he? Each time he went back and quoted an Old Testament verse. If God in human flesh <laughs> would choose the written word of God as his sword to fight Satan, how much more would we try to not come up with something new and improved and creative and just like our Lord, no, the power of the written word is sufficient. And here they had a very small Bible. It was just a few verses, really, right? Be fruitful and multiply and name the animals and, and eat of everything on the whole planet you want except for one tree. That was pretty much the whole Bible. Didn't take long to read it. But yet, out of that little bit of scripture they had, the word of God they had, she has to improve upon it. And the power is gone when she does that. You know, it's so funny. People say, well, it's like the good book says, you know, the Lord helps those who helps himself. Not in the Bible, you know. Um, spare the rod, spoil the child. Benjamin Franklin, not the Bible. Um, a lot of things we think are in the Bible that are not in the Bible, and she thought this was in the Bible, and it wasn't in the Bible. I'm not saying they're not true, but it's just not correct that God said it. Well, in Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5, then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. He just blasphemes. If you want to know what blasphemy is, there it is. Just saying the absolute opposite of God, saying God is the liar in this equation. God is a liar. God is, does not speak accurately. God is not telling you the truth but I am. That's blasphemy. And when people tell me the Bible wasn't made in six days, like the Bible says, but, you know, they got all of this billions of years and stuff, and, and, and oh, I'm a Christian, I have the... To me, it just grieves me every time. Here you are, blaspheming, saying what God said is not really what happened. What God said is not really the way it worked. 
Um, science tells us it's like this. And their science doesn't tell them that. If they would just look at it, the missing link is still missing. But anyway, in verse 5, then God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this is Satan. He's the one who wanted to be like God, right? We looked at this last week in Isaiah. I will be lifted up. I will be as the most high God. That's his heart. But yet he imposes it. And out of the abundance of his own heart, he speaks and he imposes that on Eve saying, I know that's really what you want too. Uh, to be like God, and here's the key to do it. Um, so you won't die, and, and God is, is oppressing you. This is what God does. He oppresses people. This is why you got to get out from underneath his authority so you're no longer oppressed and you're a free person. You, you know, there's no command of God that binds us up. Every command frees us up. Right? We're not free when we can do whatever we want. You know, you win the lottery and you're worth $100 million and you love to drink, so you go buy a giant warehouse and fill it up with alcohol and you go to that warehouse every day and you drink and drink and drink and drink all you want and get another order. And, you, you know, are you free? You're doing what you want and you also hit the self-destruct button, didn't you? Can't have sex with just anybody you want. God's oppressive. You can't just say anything you want because God's oppressive. No. Here's freedom. When you can do what's right and it's not a burden. When you can do hard things that take character, takes morals, take ethics, and it's not difficult to do it. That's when we're free. And that's what God's word does. It does oppress our flesh so our spirit can reign and rule. Well, in verse 6 here today, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. So it goes back to that old verse in 1 John 2.16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Just like when Jesus was being tempted. Hey, take the bread or take the stone and turn it to bread. The lust of the flesh. And then throw yourself down off the pinnacle of the temple. God's word says angels will take charge concerning over you. Well, you just twisted the word of God, Satan. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then the Lust of the eyes, right? The, the pride of life. Bow down to me, I'll give you the entire planet Earth and all its kingdoms. You can rule over them. And um, again, it's, it's the same old, same old. But then she gave to her husband, which is very significant, and he ate. He was there. He was observing. But he wasn't being the spiritual leader. So she truly was naive and deceived. She, Satan played his game and he beat her. He checkmated her. But not with Adam. Adam was going, you're blowing it, Eve. <laughs> In his mind, he's thinking, this is not good. This conversation is not right. We shouldn't be this close to this tree. Uh, I do not believe a word this <laughs> snake is saying. Um, 
and, and Eve takes of it. And when he says, take a bite, he knew it was wrong. She, she, after she took it, after she handed it to Adam, and then they observed they were naked, she realized she did wrong. That's iniquity. You see, this is why the Bible has them both. A transgression is where the line is black as complete be. There's no gray in it. I know uh, pickpocketing a guy or cheating on my taxes or you know, breaking the, my neighbor's window and crawling in their house and stealing their jewelry. I, I know that's wrong. There's just no gray in it. But I'm going to do it. And you step over that line, you do it. Iniquity is where you had no plans on doing it. Some guy drops his wallet, and the right thing to do is say, Sir, <laughs> there's your wallet, but I pick it up and I put it in my pocket, and a couple minutes later he's going, Did anybody see a wallet? And I'm going, uh, I want to give it to him. That's the right thing, but I want the money too. That's the wrong thing, but I, that's what I'm going to do. And, and sort of you got overwhelmed in, in the midst of this opportunity. That's iniquity. So here, Eve, if you would, had iniquity, but Adam transgressed. And this is what we find in the scripture when it says the very first sin of man. It doesn't talk about Eve's iniquity. It talks about Adam's transgression. But in 1 Timothy 2.14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now from this, you can do a whole teaching on why Men are to be the head in the church. It's because of that verse. That for Christ to be glorified, the, the church service needs to be a male-dominated church service. Women can pray, they can prophesy, they can sing. But when it comes to the spiritual teaching in particular, but the leading of the church, the way Christ is going to be glorified is if the man is the leading it. If the woman leads it, then the man is glorified because the head of every man is the wife. Or the, wife, the head of every woman is the man. The head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God the Father. So if we want to glorify Christ, but that's a whole nother teaching. I can go into great detail, but I, I won't. But just throw that little nuance in there for a minute. But here's five things that happened when Adam transgressed. First of all, it tells us in Romans, Adam's sin extended to the entire human race. Because of Adam, sin entered the world. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Number two, death came to all mankind. In the same way Christ affects all of mankind with life, so Adam and his sin, and he brought about death, extends to all men. In Romans 5.15, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, or all died, much more the grace of God through the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded in many. So we were all in Adam. We were in his loins when he sinned. So when Adam sinned spiritually, God's point of view, all of us sinned when Adam sinned. Because all of mankind has come from Adam. Now Christ is the second Adam. So in Christ, when he 
hung upon the cross and was crucified, we were crucified with him. And when he took the punishment of sin and rose again, we rose again with him. So as Christ can now walk in a newness of life, so can we. So it says it plainly in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. The third thing is death reigned over man and all of creation. Uh, I won't get into that, but that's in Romans 8. The, the, op, the opposite is true in Christ. So in Romans 5, 17. So if by one man's offense... Death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So in essence, he is saying, in Adam, we can see the physical reality, right? If the Lord tarries, 100% of us will die, <laughs> not 99.99%. Adam's sin affected all people thoroughly and has since he sinned, all have died. In the spiritual world, we can't see it, but it is equally true that Christ has made us all alive. Not 99%, but all who believe in Christ shall never perish, but have everlasting life. Because just as Adam's sin was thorough in bringing death to all men, so Christ's death brought all of us life to everyone who believes, lacking none. Well, the fourth thing is all men were condemned. The opposite is true again in Christ. In Romans 5.18, as though one man's offense judgment came to all men, condemnation in that judgment, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And then the fifth thing, all men were made sinners. The opposite is true again in Christ. In Romans 5, 19, for as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. All of us were made sinners. And also by one man's obedience, many or all will be made righteous, all those who believe in him. So this, uh, as you go through Romans, there's many more verses on this also in Hebrews, and, and this is a major theological verse of the Bible uh, in verse 6, and that one little phrase, and her husband also ate. <laughs> From that comes a huge theology of understanding, more importantly, not understanding what happened in Adam, but to understand the spirituality of what happened through the one man, Jesus Christ. Well, in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Uh, if you've ever been around fig leaves, you know they could have been done a, a better choice than that. Um, so th that was their best effort. So what happened? They have guilt, they have shame. Their sin has embarrassed them. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Some sins are more embarrassing than others. If you get drunk, you're very embarrassed. You embarrass the whole family, right? But if you do some secret sin in the closet, nobody else knows about it, but you do. The guilt and the shame is there equally so 
even though you alone are, are sharing it. In this case, it's shared by Adam and Eve both. They, they before were naked and they were just an innocent heart. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't have any meaning to them. But after they got the knowledge of good and evil, they lusted. They saw the nakedness. They were ashamed that somebody saw their nakedness, even though it was husband and wife at that. That was their knee-jerk reaction. You know, going from a two-year-old to a 20-year-old in an instant, you know, in essence. You know, they didn't have three and four and five, and, and there wasn't a progression of, of growing in maturity in your mind and, and realizing, hey, I don't like when people see me naked, and why is that? And, you know, and then, you, you know, you, you discover, oh, yeah, you don't see people naked. You know, when you're six or seven, you start to realize that this, that's wrong. But they didn't have that. It was just immediate. I mean, that must have been a shock for their eyes to be opened so quickly. But um, they had guilt. They had embarrassment. They had shame. What did they do? They tried in their efforts to cover that up because they knew God's presence was coming. God was going to be showing up. And they did what they could and guess what they discovered? It's not sufficient. Even though I got all the parts covered up with fig leaves, I still feel ashamed. I still feel guilty. I still feel embarrassed. And as they're contemplating what else we can do besides fig leaves, the Lord shows up in the cool of the evening and they hide themselves. And of course, God, again, he knows where they're at. He knows what's happened. But yet we, anthropomorphically is what we call this, God helping us to relate. Because that's all we have the ability to do is relate from an earth's perspective. So, so God is playing the role saying, where are you? And, uh, and um, they're like, well, I'm, I'm hiding. You know, <laughs> they're, they're still rather innocent, aren't they? Well, why are you hiding, he says. So look in verse 8 and 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? In verse 10, he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you? To, that you should not eat. And the man said, well, the woman who you gave me with me, she gave me the tree and ate. Yeah, now, now he realizes that's an advantage. Um, he can blame it on somebody else. But notice here, Adam and Eve's first knee-jerk reaction was to, if you would, institute their own self-made religion. I know I'm going to have to appear before God. And so I need, with my mind and with whatever I can do, I need to try to take care of this guilt. I need to try to cover up the shame. I need to do everything I can so I can present myself before God and, and he will accept this new version of me. He won't even notice. <laughs> 
But what is God eventually going to do in this story? He comes to man. See, that, that's Christianity, you guys. All religions of the world, basically God shows up and says, I'm up here, now figure out how to come to me. And men's slipping and sliding, he's not praying enough, and he's not obeying enough, and he's too sinful, and, and he's frustrating God, and he's frustrated that he's frustrating God, and, 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 you know, we come up with, you know, beads and chains and rugs and facing directions and lighting candles, and, and we come up with all these rituals, all these different types of fig leaves to try to, when we stand before God, we, we won't be ashamed, and we won't feel guilty, but all the religions of the world cannot successfully be able to present themselves before God. And God knows that. He never, he never says that. Religious people hated Jesus because he wasn't religious. He didn't play the religious game. Ultimately, they conspired and succeeded in putting him to death. But God comes, you see. He's reaching out to Adam. He's coming to Adam. God's presence is coming to Adam. God's presence is in the world right now through the Holy Spirit, convicting men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he comes to Adam and he says, why are you hiding from me? Adam couldn't just say it. I'm a sinner. I feel guilty. I'm ashamed. I was embarrassed. So God helps him. I, I love this. God doesn't say, did you eat of the tree which I've commanded you not to eat to condemn him? This is where writing is so insufficient. Because we often can put the inflection in the voice that, that we imagine. What? Did you eat of that tree I told you not to eat of? Is that the way God said it? I don't think so. I don't think he had a condemning in his voice. I think he's just like, did you do this? Why? Because God wanted him to be healed. Psalms 32, verse 3 through 5, you know it well. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groanings all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, for my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah, take a moment and pause, meditate. For I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity was not hidden. <laughs> I'm not going to play the game Adam did in the garden. I know it can't happen. It, it can't, hiding and fig leaves, none of it will help. I confess my trespass, my my trespass, my transgression, excuse me, and I confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Proverbs 28, 13, we know well. He who covers a sin will what? Not prosper. Whoever confesses, forsakes them, will have mercy. And 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, it doesn't say to have this deep, sorry repentance where we're crying and graveling. It just says, agree with God. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is exactly what he's doing. He, he's saying to him, did you do it? And all he had to do was say, yes, Lord. And the Lord would have said, you're also forgiven. But Adam, we discover, 
in his sinful estate is really rocking this sinner thing. <laughs> Rather than confessing, we see the first time in human history man passing the buck. We didn't get very far after creation before that started, right? Blaming somebody else for my sinful failures. Well, I wouldn't be drinking if you didn't nag me. <laughs> I wouldn't be a drunk if my dad didn't, if my mom didn't, if I had. We, we can blame anything. Chuck Smith used to always say, if you get good at giving excuses, you will be good at nothing else but giving excuses. Hopefully you're a horrible excuse maker because if you're good at it, you're going to be in trouble. Well, Adam wasn't very good at it. Uh, the woman, you know, you're the one who created her. It wasn't me. I was asleep the whole time. I didn't even know what was going on. And I personally, if it was just me around, you know, I didn't ask for her. You gave her to me. I didn't ask for her. That was your idea. You invented that, not me. Um, had you not given her, I never would have talked to that snake, and this would never have happened. And so he says to the woman, well, what is it you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate, which was actually true, you know. It was more true than what Adam had said, and that was the reality in verse 14 and 15. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So he says here, um, yes, serpent, I'm, I'm going to curse you. And spiritually, your seed, the serpent seed, who would that be? The Antichrist. And then we see the first inference of the virgin birth from her seed. The woman doesn't have the seed. The man does. But in the virgin birth of Mary, there wasn't a man involved. It was only God. And the Mormons say it was God who had sex with Mary, um, which again is just abomination that they would say that it wasn't God's seed it was her seed it was God did it all through the Holy Spirit coming upon her as the Bible says that's the only information we get but he says what's going to happen is uh, when the, the work of Satan and the work of God collide um, Satan's head will be hit and the Messiah's if you would his hill the seed of the woman, her, his hill would be touched. In Hebrews 2.14, it says, Inasmuch then the children gave partaken of the flesh, and the blood himself, and he himself likewise shared in the same. Jesus came in flesh and blood. Through the death he might destroy him. It's referring to Satan, who had the power of death. That is the devil so Hebrews 2.14, he himself likewise shared in the same, that is in flesh and blood as all children of the earth, and then through the death of the Messiah, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. In Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, referring back to the earlier verse, referring to the cross. In Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 
Well, verse 16, which is not in your notes, sorry about that. Uh, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. We're going to talk about this more next week because this little phrase, but notice in each one now, now with the woman, he gives her a physical pain that in childbirth, and then he gives her a spiritual pain. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now that little sentence right there is the same word-for-word sentence in Genesis 4 when God says to Cain, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It's the same Hebrew word. So here, a lot of times you read it going, her desire will be for her husband. Oh, isn't that wonderful? That's not what it's saying. It's saying she wants to be in control. She wants to run things, especially in the spiritual realm. But God says no to that. Well, verse 17 to 19, then Adam said, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake and toil you shall eat of it in the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of the face you shall eat bread till you have returned to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are and dust you shall return. So he gives him a physical punishment the easy gardening you've had in the Garden of Eden, it's going to be hard gardening from here on out. Uh, th- those weeds were no doubt underneath the ground. But now I'm going to allow them to come up and you're, going to, you're in a fight to grow things. And it's going to be hard for you to be able to get the food you want without wrestling the weeds and so forth. And then spiritually, um, the pain... Here is the sweat of the brow. You're going to eat the the bread. And so, um, and then the very last thing he says there, for dust you are and dust you shall return. So um, this sounds sort of like a myth, but yet you can prove it today. The same elements found in most dirt in the world is the same elements you'd find in the ashes of human body. And it's interesting how quick, when a person dies, does that process start? It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it just starts so quick. The moment they breathe their last, it's but a few hours, and their body just starts disintegrating. So you really realize that the spirit really is what gives the body life. And I, when I do funerals, I tell people, if what God said about the human body is true, then why what God tells us about our soul and spirit would not also be true? Our body comes from dust. It can be factually proven that the elements in dirt, most dirt is the same elements in man. In the same way, it says our spirit will leave our body and either be present with the Lord or be in Hades waiting for the day of judgment. Well, verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So now we have her name, Eve. 
For also Adam and his wife, the Lord God, made tunics of skin and clothed them. So notice here, it's God's work. It's God's sacrifice. It's God giving them the covering. It's all the work of God. They have no participation in it. And obviously, this is the first blood sacrifice. The first death really on earth was this lamb for their sacrifice. In Hebrews 9.22, And according to the law, almost all things were purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Referring that to the forgiveness of sins. In 22 to 24, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. This is the Trinity again speaking with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Now lest we put, lest he put his hand out and take also of the tree of life and eat the, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and the flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So God is saying we need to get man completely barred from going back into the Garden of Eden. He has to live outside of that. And he says, lest he eat of the tree uh, of life and live in this state forever of sin is the inference that's being made there. I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but that seems to be what it's saying. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. There it is. His principles. I, I think that we shouldn't have tr translated that in the English. His principles, his ways, his thoughts. Follow him, right? Be like Jesus. That's what he's saying. If you love me, live life the way I live life. Live life the way I'm telling you to live life. In 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome to us. And again, this is not referring back to the Ten Commandments. This is referring to the New Testament where Jesus tells us to follow him and to walk in love.